The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we are continuing in our series uh, this morning that we've been in called Who Is This Man? Uh, And and again, in this series, we're, we're looking at the ripple effect that Jesus' life has had on our world uh, even to this day, right? That, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, a guy who actually walked this earth uh, for about 33 years, that somehow the life he lived has had a ripple effect that affects us even to this day. Uh, and so we've looked at, at how he's changed our views on those on the margins of society. Uh, we looked at his impact on the realm of academia and the life of the minds. Uh, We looked at how he changed, really, a a view of humility that was seen as a vice at first, and now many of us, uh, regardless of where you're at on the the faith spectrum, view humility as a virtue. That happened uh, because of Jesus. And then last week, we even looked at Jesus' impact on the political realm. And so we've looked at all these sort of broad influences that Jesus has had and all these sort of different spheres of our world. Uh, but today we're actually going to focus in, we're going to get a little bit narrow, and we're going to look at what it is that in, in how Jesus transforms the individual life. That Jesus transforms the individual life. That if you were to read through the Gospels, if you were to read through the biographies of Jesus, you'd see that just about anyone who encounters him, anyone who runs into him, they seem to have their life changed, they seem to have their life transformed as they encounter this man, Jesus. And if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian today, I think we would also say that Jesus is still transforming lives to this day. That he still changes lives to this day. It makes me think of my, my friend Drew. Uh, I, I got to know him last year when I was doing chaplaincy work for the Austin Aztecs, uh, which was our, our third-tier professional soccer team here in Austin uh, that we used to have. Uh, tragically, they're gone. They promised me they'll come back, but no sign of life yet. Uh, but at any rate, uh, he was he was the starting number 10 for them, and, and I got to know him. And as I got to know his story, uh, he'd been a Christian for, for just a couple years. He wasn't, wasn't raised in the faith, didn't know Jesus, had been a Christian for just a couple years. And he shared with me a story. He was, he was at another team on the, on the East Coast, and he was really frustrated with how his career was going, and he'd just been plagued with injuries. And so he's just laid up in his bed, not able to play, not able to do what he loves. And one of his teammates, uh, who was a really strong Christian, just came in and would spend time with him and prayed with him, and, and at one point, one of his teammates shared the gospel with him, and Drew shared with me, he's like, Gabe, I had never heard it before, I'd never, never encountered Jesus before, and he's like, and it was like this moment, he said, Gabe, he's like, everything just shifted for me, he said, I spent my whole life pursuing this one goal, chasing after this one dream, just wanting to make it as a professional soccer player, that everything in my life was staked on that, my identity, my purpose, my whole reason for living was all just built on doing this. He said, and then I met Jesus and everything shifted. That wasn't the most important thing in the world to me anymore. He said, I still cared about it, I still loved the game, but that, that wasn't the most important thing in the world to me anymore. And so what's actually happened is he stayed on, he played uh, pro for a couple more years, but now he actually, right now, uh, is, is spending his first year as a missionary, serving as a missionary right now. See, see, to be a Christian is to have your life transformed by Jesus Christ. It just is. It comes with being a Christian. And for some of you, that transformation may have been really obvious. It may have been like my buddy Drew, where like, it was just in a flash, right? Like one moment and everything shifts for him. Uh, for others of you, in fact, probably for most of you, it's been a bit more gradual than that. That maybe you slowly came to know Jesus, and through that he gradually began to change pieces of your life one at a time. Or maybe there's some of you that are like me where you can't even think of like a moment in your life where you didn't know Jesus. But just over the years, over time, his power to transform is still at work even then. 
that if you were to look back and say, oh yeah, he was doing that there, he was doing that there. Like, I just think about myself. Uh, I've, I've got friends, you know, plenty of friends who, who, who aren't Christians, and they are much better people than I am. Like, they, they just are. Like, they're, they're more moral, they're more kind, they're more selfless than I am. They just are. And it's just like, I don't know what it is. It's just how I'm wired. You know, like, I like to break rules. I like to be snarky. I'm kind of arrogant. Like, like and, and, I, and I, just, I just look inside me, and I think, man, Jesus had to always be with me, or else I'd be in the bottom of a ditch somewhere. Like, it's just true. It's just true. And so whether it's a, a sudden change or it's the gradual work of the Spirit, Jesus transforms people. He transforms people to this day. But how does that work? How does he do that? Well, our text today really helps us unpack that, helps us see uh, what that looks like. And so what we're going to do through, what we're going to look through what may be a familiar story to some of you if you grew up in church, uh, is that the life change Jesus offers is for all people. It's a gift. And it affects every relationship. All right? That's kind of our outline for today. Transformation Jesus offers is for all people. It's a gift. And it affects every relationship. All right, so let's dig into it. Look with me at verses 1 to 4 in our text for today. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. All right, so, so Jesus is about to pass through a town called Jericho, and, and there's this man named Zacchaeus that wants to see him. And the gospel writer Luke here, he cues us in that this is not just any man, this is a specific dude, right? He's a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, why does the gospel writer Luke, why does he cue us into all of this? Well, because folks at that time hated tax collectors, right? They hated tax collectors. And, and I know we all love the IRS, and so it's really hard to relate to that, Right? That was a joke. Maybe some of you really do. That's, that's weird. We'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, but so, so it's hard to relate. But, but tax collectors were hated, and they were hated for good reason. This may be a review for some of you, but so we're all on the same page. What would happen is that Rome, so, so Israel is under the Roman Empire at this time in history, and so what would happen is Rome would conquer a people. And Rome didn't want to spend their own energy taxing the people, so what they'd do is they'd pick leaders from within the folks that they had conquered, in this case, the nation of Israel, and they'd say, all right, you guys are now collecting taxes for us from your own people. And Rome would say, and we're not going to pay you to do it, but you can get money. The way you get money is you just skim off up the top whatever you want. So you pay us what we're asking you to pay, and then you charge people however much extra you want uh, to take money off the top and line your own purses. So tax collectors not only worked for the enemy to oppress their own people, but on top of that, they filled their own purses with other people's money. And then on top of that, Luke says that Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector and was rich, which means he was taking a lot of money from people. And as a chief tax collector, he would have overseen other people that were taking money from folks. He is like the lowest of the low, right? If, if tax collector is low on the social ladder, like chief tax collector is the lowest of the low. I mean, when you think Zacchaeus, you think Bernie Madoff, right? That's what this is. You remember him? All right? That's, that's what's going on. And this is the dude that wants to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. Problem was, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. 
So we climbed up in the sycamore tree. That's a song from Sunday school if you grew up there. Uh, so for, for the Lord, he wanted to see. All right, so he climbs up into this tree, and then this happens. Look with me at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. All right, so Jesus has this big crowd around him, ignores the crowd, looks up in the tree, and sees this guy, the lowest of the low, selfish, greedy, oppressive jerk. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come on down, man. I must go to your house today. I must go to your house today. Zacchaeus, I've just got to hang out with you today. Now, we've talked about this before, but, but who you ate with in those days was incredibly important. That was, that was how you climbed the social ladder. If you were important, you ate with important people. If you were unimportant, you ate with unimportant people. You get the idea, right? And so here, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hey, I'm eating with you, buddy. I'm going to sit at your table. The people that hate you, Zacchaeus, they're going to hate me. The people that shoot dirty looks at you, Zacchaeus, they're going to start shooting them at me. I don't care. I'm with you. I'm with you. And so what's the gospel writer trying to tell us here? He's telling us that the life change Jesus offers is for absolutely everyone. Everyone. And so a couple thoughts on that. First of all, let me say this. If you think, if you're with us this morning, you think, hey, you know, I'm, I'm too far off from God. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about this stuff. I don't have my life together. There's no way God could love me. There's no way God would want anything to do with me. I've messed up too much. You think Jesus would want nothing to do with you. If that's your thought, can I just tell you something? Man, you couldn't be further from the truth. You couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus offers himself to everyone. The life change Jesus offers is for everyone, no matter how far you think you are from him. Jesus says to you today, hear this, I must come to your house. I must come to your house. I'm with you. Second thing we notice if we think about the fact that, that Jesus' life change is offered to everyone is that because it's offered to everyone, it means that those of us who've, who've been impacted by Jesus' life aren't necessarily going to be better people than the next guy. And sometimes we've been worse, right? In, uh, in J.D. Salinger's classic work, uh, Catcher in the Rye, uh, you know, the narrator, the teenage narrator, Holden Caulfield, uh, he, he kind of lays out his, his opinions on Jesus' uh, first followers. Uh, and he says this. Well, there's one bad word, so ear muffet, kids. Uh, he says this. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of an atheist. I like Jesus and all, but I don't care too much for the other stuff in the Bible. Take the disciples, for instance. They annoy the hell out of me. If you want to know the truth, they were all right after Jesus was dead and all, but while he was alive... They're about as much used to him as a hole in the head. All they did was keep letting him down. I like almost anybody in the Bible better than the disciples. And I love this quote, right? Because this character, Holden Caulfield, he just cuts right through it and he says, you ever notice how like Jesus' disciples never seem to have it all together? He says they seem as useful to him as a hole in the head. You ever notice that? And, and here's why. Because Jesus never chose the elite. Jesus didn't choose the brightest. Jesus didn't choose the best. He didn't choose the most moral. He chose uneducated fishermen who probably swore too much. Because the life change Jesus offers is for everyone. 
And because it's for everyone, messy people are often attracted to it. They often grab hold of it. And so that's why, let me say this, if you've ever been burned by folks at the church, it's because we're generally a mess. If you've ever found Christians to be hypocritical, it's because we kind of are. And and I'm not saying that's okay, and I'm sorry for when that, that happens, but I just want us to see why it's like that, right? Like, like, Broken people are attracted to Jesus. That's just how it works. Secondly, we see here that the life change Jesus offers is a gift. It's a gift. Jesus' life changes for everybody, and it's a gift. Look with me at verses 6 to 7. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. All right, so, so it says here that Zacchaeus runs down from the tree, and it says he receives him, him being Jesus, joyfully. Uh, now, I was doing some, some translation work on the text, uh, which is always dangerous, uh, but, but the, the verb there for received is hupadoxato. It's a really fun one, right? So that's, that's the word in the Greek, hupadoxato. Uh, and it's really cool, because you can actually take it one of two ways. All right, so the one way you can see that word received uh, in the Greek is, is it's simple, just kind of how we see it in English. That it's like he received him almost like a gift, right? Like you kind of get this picture in your head that he just kind of hugs him or something. Like, right? So that kind of idea of just a simple reception of a person as a gift. But the other way you can actually translate that is that, that he, he welcomed him into his home, that he entertained him, that, that he, he brought him into his home, that he received him as a guest. Does that make sense? All right, so those are, those are the two sort of different ways you can see that world. And I love keeping both of those in front of us keeping both of those options in front of us. Because here's the deal. If, if we see Jesus as an embodiment of the gospel, if we see Jesus as the embodiment of the gospel, on the one hand, uh, as a Christian, to be a Christian is simply to believe the gospel, that Jesus saves you. That's what it is, right? It's simply to just receive the gift of his salvation for you. It's simply to receive the gift of God's grace in Jesus. That's it. And only pride would get in the way of that. Only pride gets in the way of receiving a gift. Only pride rejects a gift, right? So salvation in Jesus Christ, no thanks. I don't need that. I'm doing fine on my own. I don't want your charity. I'm doing just fine on my own, right? And that's what the people do in verse 7. As they say, oh my gosh, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. Instead of saying, oh my goodness, how can I get on that table? I need to be with him too. But humility gratefully and simply receives the gift of God in Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. See, the gift doesn't stop there. And this is key, because I think sometimes, folks, we, we think of the gospel as sort of just like the, the, the entrance exam, right? Like it's just sort of the baseline of Christianity that is just like, well, this is the ticket into heaven and the ticket to make yourself right with God, and that's about all it's good for. And in a sense, it, it does, of course, make us right with God and, and believing it does that, but it's so much more than that. And that's why I love the second way that we can take this verb, this hupadoxato, uh, because it means to welcome him into his home. That it wasn't enough for Zacchaeus to just receive Jesus, maybe give him a hug and say, all right, there. He says, no, I'm going to bring you into my home. Zacchaeus welcomes him into his life. See, if the life change of Jesus is, is really going to happen in your life, you have to see how the gospel affects every area of your life. That it's seeing how does the gospel shape things. So, so I think about it like this. It's like, a, it's like a, a kid getting a chemistry set at Christmas. Right? So you imagine a little girl gets a chemistry set at Christmas, and that's nice, and it's a nice gift and everything, and she, she looks at the pieces, she receives the gift, but it isn't until she takes it out, right? 
starts doing the experiments, making stuff happen, using the instruments, that the real beauty of the gift starts to happen, that she experiences the real beauty of the gift. Or I think about a kid maybe gets an instrument as a gift. And sure, the, the trumpet is just beautiful on its own, right? Beautiful brass, just a gorgeous thing to look at. But it isn't until the kid starts practicing it, starts learning how to play it, that's when the gift really shines. And see, it's the same way with the gospel. See, it's one thing for you as a Christian to, to receive it simply as a gift and say, yep, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and that's, that's it. And that's good. That's a good thing to do. But it's another thing when you start applying the gospel to every area of your life. How does what God's done for you in Jesus Christ affect your entire life? How does it affect your relationships? How does it affect your work? How does it affect your sexuality? How does it affect your money? How does it affect your time? Uh, when I first started preaching, I remember the, the church I was, I was working at at that time was, was really excited uh, that, that there was this, this young preacher there. And so, so they, like, the like, first week I preached, they're like, all right, well, he's not an idiot. And so then they're like, we're going we're gonna, to, uh, and they're like, we're, we're going to bring a, uh, we're going to bring a friend to, who happened to be a young man. We're gonna, he's going to see this, this cool young preacher with the earrings, the tattoo, you're going to do that. And so, so they bring this young man to come hear me preach, and I preach, do my thing. And then uh, they, they talk to the, the, this kid afterwards, and they say, hey, so what'd you think? What'd you think? Do you like him? Do you like him? And, and the, the young man said this. He said, well, you know, he's fine and everything. Um, you know, kept my intention. He's certainly energetic up there. He said, but he goes, but he didn't tell me what to do. When, when I left, he didn't leave me with any particular next steps to take. And in one sense, he's right, that, that I was and still am learning how to help people apply the gospel to the different parts of their life. But in another sense, that's not actually my end goal. My hope, if, if you come here, you know that I proclaim the gospel at every sermon. And my hope is that, that you take that to heart. And that you say, okay, if I take this heart, what does this then mean that God saved me in Jesus Christ? What does this then mean here? What does it mean here? How does this affect my relationship? How does this affect my work? How does this apply to this, that, and that? You're taking it and looking at the gospel in your life. It's about taking the gift and then using the gift. That makes sense? So let me just give you an example of what that could look like. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool, actually. A, a few months ago, uh, a young lady who, who's part of our church, uh, she's in high school, came up to me and she said, hey, uh, Pastor Gabe, can I talk to you about something for, for a second? And I said, sure. And she said, so there's, there's this girl on my school bus, and, and every morning she's, like, really mean to me. And, um, and, and I don't know what to do about that. I, and I know, Pastor Gabe, I've heard you up front. You talk all the time about how in Jesus we're forgiven because of what he's done on the cross. And so, so I really want to forgive her, too. I just don't know how to do that. Can you help me figure out the details on that? I think about it, like, what a beautiful thought, right? She's, she's taking the gospel, she's taking the gift, and she's saying, how does this shape how I engage my enemies? right? And that's what we get to do with the gift. We get to apply it to every area of our life. And what we see in the story of Zacchaeus is that one of the first places it's going to have an impact, and one of the greatest effects it's going to have, uh, is in all of your relationships. Look with me at verses 8 through 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it full for, fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. 
That's pretty amazing. In these just two verses, we see that Jesus' relationship with, Jesus, with Zacchaeus ends up transforming at least three of Zacchaeus' relationship. It transforms his relationship to the poor. It transforms his relationship to his peers. And it transforms his relationship to the covenant community. Right? Do you see this? So first of all, it transforms his relationship to the poor. That, that after Jesus enters his life, he says, you know what? I'm going to give half of all I have to the poor. That somehow encountering Jesus makes Zacchaeus just love the poor. And it makes sense, right? If, if you're a Christian, it makes sense to you, right? We believe that we receive God's generosity in Jesus Christ. And so we become generous people to those in need. It just goes hand in hand. That's just part of what it is to be a Christian. That we care about the poor. We just do. Disproportionately, we care about the poor. It's just crazy how much we do. Generosity that God's given to us, we just inherently want to give it away to others. Uh, I, I heard a guy put it like this. He said, I can tell your theology not by what you say it is, but by looking at your bank account and your calendar. I can tell your theology not by what you say it is, but by looking at your bank account and your calendar. It was pretty convicting, right? What do those things say about your theology, what you actually believe? How has Jesus transformed your relationship to the poor? Second relationship, the gift of Jesus changes, uh, is Zacchaeus' relationship to his peers. Right? We notice this. He says, hey, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it to them and then some. Meaning what he's saying here, not only am I going to treat people fairly and rightly, but I'm going to go above and beyond that. I'm going to have integrity towards my peers. Now for us as Christians... We're meant to have that sort of integrity, that we're reliable people, that we're honest with folks, that we assume the best out of people, that we don't triangulate, that when someone texts us and says, hey, can you help me with this thing, that we don't wait until someone else says yes, that we don't have to do it, and then say, oh, but I didn't see that text. Liar, right? We don't do that. We have integrity. You know what I'm talking about, right? Does that happen to you guys too? Maybe people just don't like me. Okay. No, not you, Aunt. All right, yeah. Uh, and then the, the third relationship that's transformed by Zacchaeus is his relationship to the covenant community. That Jesus says he also is a son of Abraham. See, because of his line of work, Zacchaeus would have been an outcast, right? Totally isolated. Rome wouldn't have liked him because he was a Jew. The Jewish community would have rejected him, would have rejected him because he was a traitor. And so here's a guy, he's got no tribe, he's got no people. He's got no one that wants to be with him, no one to belong to. And Jesus says, not anymore. He's met me. And anyone who's met me has a people to belong to. They got someone that they're a part of. And the same is true for us today, that when you receive the gift of Jesus' life transformation power, you become part of his covenant people today. You become part of the church. Regardless of where you're at in that journey, you're maybe just figuring it out but you become a part of us. And that's a good thing. I hope it's a good thing. Now I say all that, and some of you may say, well, that's, that's all well and good, Pastor, and I get Jesus' life changes for everyone. I see it's a gift, and I see how it could affect my relationships and how it has affected my relationships. But, but how do I get that? Like, like how, do I, how do I tap into that life-changing power? How do I tap into that transforming power? How do I do that? It's easy. Easiest. Easiest thing you could do. You just see that you're lost. That's it. You see that you're lost apart from Jesus. 
Because Jesus only came for lost people. He only came for lost people. Look with me at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, so Jesus calls himself the Son of Man here. That was his favorite way of referring to himself. And he says, I came to seek and save the lost. He says, that's why I'm here. That's what this is all about. My whole purpose here is to find the Zacchaeuses of the world. To find those who are lost and broken and without me and separated from God and from his people and to bring them in. Welcome them into my family. Jesus says, that's what I'm about. Only lost people get found. So we got to see we're lost. So this weekend, I was a, a speaker at a, at a men's retreat. And, a, and the men's retreat was called Long Shot. And, a, and so it was a group of about 70 dudes that, that get together for a weekend from Central Texas uh, to shoot guns for a weekend. And they asked me to be the speaker. <laughs> okay, I... In case you haven't noticed, like, I am not that dude. You know, like, like I am a man, okay, man, okay, but I'm not that kind of man. You know, like, I read books and listen to hip-hop. Like, this is just, just, I, my, my knowledge of George Strait songs is very, very limited, right? Amarillo by morning, that's all I know, right? That was me, I'm there. And so I show up to this thing, and I did not fit, right, man? I was lost in this group. And so what I do, the first time I got up to speak, I just owned it. And I said, guys, I'm sorry. I don't know your life at all. I don't understand any of it. I've shot a gun once in my life. That's, I hit a pumpkin. It was awesome. Uh, 15 years ago. Uh, that's it. And guess what? After I said that, one dude after another after another came up to me and said, hey, you can come shooting with me. You can borrow my gun. I'll show you how to do that. You can come hang out with us tomorrow. I'll teach you how to use it. You'll fit right in. Don't worry about it. You see, it was when I admitted my lostness that I was found. Friends, if you see your need for Jesus, see your lostness apart from him. And then let him find you. Receive his grace. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his love. And see, as you grab onto that free gift that he gives you, watch him transform your life as he's done for billions of people throughout the centuries. Let's talk to him now. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for coming for every single one of us. Those of us that have got it together and figured out, and those of us that barely made it here this morning. God, we thank you that your grace is for each one of us here. May we receive that gift. May it transform our lives. May it transform our relationships. Thank you for finding us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.